Welcome to the Intelligence Download, a podcast from BAE Systems. I'm Ben Tudor. Insurers, like all financial institutions, have a tough job on their hands to stave off fraud these days. Customers are changing the way they interact with companies they buy from, driven by generational change and technological advance, and fraudsters, as ever, are looking to take advantage of this. The industry has to keep cooperating and innovating in the face of this threat, and arguably it's more important than ever before to keep doing so. I'm joined today by Scott Clayton, Head of Claims Fraud at Zurich, and Kate Wright, who's our Head of Product Management for Insurance Fraud at BA Systems. Um, before we begin, um, if I could ask both of you for a brief biography on Scott, um, could you give us a little bit about your background and uh, your role at Zurich? Sure, thanks Ben. Uh, so I'm Scott Clayton, the Head of Claims Fraud at Zurich. Uh, I've been doing that job for around about 15 years now. Um, been with Zurich all of my career, so over 30 years now, all within the insurance claims sector. Um, it's a job that I care passionately about, which is probably why I've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And uh, Kate, if you could give a quick brace here. Hi, yeah. So I'm Kate Wright. My background is predominantly from um, in an industry perspective. So previously I was head of fraud for gocompare.com. I've worked for large insurers such as Allianz and Zurich and um, regional brokers such as Europa Group. Fantastic. All in the counter-fraud space. Oh, all in the counter-fraud. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, so I guess the, the first question, the first thing I'd, um, I'd like to ask, and this, this may be really helpful looking at the, the sort of experience that you both have, is thinking back over the next, uh, the last six months and, and the next six months coming, what are the sort of short-term trends you're expecting to see and that you have seen? Um, obviously, we're kind of looking at the long term as well, but you know, in the short term, what sort of trends are you seeing um, in fraud? So I think it's difficult to pinpoint within a six-month time period. Um, what we see a lot of is fraud, similar types of fraud, but just evolving. So if you look over the last 10 years or so, the, the crash for cash phenomenon has really hit us hard. Um, and we've had to respond to that by not only getting together as a, um, as a group of companies, but also individually, you know, how we, how we actually tackle that. But to actually lead into your question, what we've seen during that period of time is the actual fraud evolving and those perpetrating it changing. So traditionally it was fraudsters who were supported by solicitors and other component elements like credit hire, um, recovery and storage. Um, Over time, these people have decided, well, rather than pass off some of these opportunities, they actually keep them all under the one roof. So rather than solicitors helping to facilitate fraud, we now see more of them actually perpetrating it. So the claimant actually turns into more of a commodity rather than the claimant perpetrating the fraud themselves. So that's what we've seen a lot of in Motown. And you just align that to the, the whiplash epidemic that we've seen over the years. You know, this is, this is an exploitation of a process that's put in place to try and put genuinely injured customers and, and drivers back into almost a pre-accident position. Um, but the fraudsters have just exploited that by flooding the market with spurious claims We've all had the calls, have you been involved in an accident? Do you want to put a claim in? And people fall for that. And people are encouraged, sometimes through just perseverance of these claims farmers to actually put claims in that are just totally false. Um, so it's up to us to weed out the wheat from, you know, the good claims and the bad ones. Um, and that's what we've been doing. So long answer to your question in terms of six months, but it's more of a sort of long continued process. And we just see some of the evolution in terms of behaviours. Mm. That's interesting, Scott. Um, I, so 
Do you see any changes or can you envision any positive change in the whiplash reforms and the new regulations around CMCs? Do you think they'll make a huge difference to that? Well, let's be right about it. The whiplash reforms have been brought in to try and address this exploitation of a broken a broken system. So undoubtedly, we hope that they will have they'll have an effect. I guess the unknown is to what extent that effect will be. So I think we'd be very naive to think that these claimant solicitors who are earning a lot of money through the, the fraud process aren't thinking about ways around this. So there will inevitably be unintended consequences. As an industry, we're trying to gear up for that, what they might look like, um, in effect, put our defences in place before they, they, they happen. Um, but there's a bit of unknown in there. So it'll just, it'll, it will remain to be seen to what extent they have an effect, but hopefully a significant one. And it's interesting you're saying it's, it's moving from you know, organised gangs or organised individuals that are using different elements and different participants to, to perpetrate the fraud to the actual participants themselves, the solicitors, the credit companies and all the rest. Um, that's fascinating to me. It's, um, you know, it, it sounds like you, know, you hear a lot about organised crime, but this is organised organized law firms uh, having a go at this as well. Yeah, and, and some of the behaviours that we see from solicitors are just downright shocking. You know, we see solicitors litigating on cases without claimants knowing about it, acting without instructions. So in effect, they're pursuing claims on behalf of people who have no idea that they're actually pursuing a claim. So that type of behaviour around the whole sort of claims farming, the, the high volume, attritional, it's almost a playing a, an 80-20 game. You know, if they flood the market with claims, if they can get 80% of them or even half of them paid, then they're still, the margins of that are still so great. So, so that's what we're seeing. And it's not just motor. You know, we've seen the same sort of thing in industrial disease. So deafness type claims where, you know, through... Um, heavy industry, people being affected in terms of noise-induced hearing loss. Again, that's just a flood the market with a huge amount of claims. And the money that the solicitors make out of that is phenomenal. Um, and it's different to motor. So it's they're looking at the insurance market, the claims process, and where the, the gaps are. Same as, you know, you look at PPI. PPI from a you know, claims management company point of view, and then you hear the holiday sickness claims, you know, it's a bandwagon effect. It's where they can actually get a quick buck. Yeah, because I, I guess that leads on to the second question, which was about frauds hopping lines of business. And you talked about going from motor to, say, holiday and PPI. Um, where do you expect that to, to, to pop up next almost? Is there, is there a particular line of business where you think, you know, that this is where the frauds are going to attack next or this is where they're going to see the opportunity? So I think it's quite different in terms of what fraud opportunities are within lines of business. And if you look at motor, motor was almost the perfect model for the fraudsters because the whole insurance claims process is governed around someone at fault. And if there's negligence, then there's a claim. And if there's a claim, then there's a payout. If you look at the motor side of things, you can have two people taking out policies, crashing the cars into each other, and in effect manufacturing that fault, that negligence. And that's really easy to do. You can do that. And we heard of criminal gangs doing that time and time of day, every day, you know, taking to the roads and deliberately crashing cars into each other or um, inducing other vehicles to, to, to collide with them. So that was easy. If you look at liability, it's not quite so easy. So they have to find a defect in the street and claim against the council or an employer. They have to find a defect in the workplace and submit an injury claim there. So the volume side of things isn't quite the same in terms of that proliferation. Um, but that's not to say that we don't see crossovers, particularly driven by the solicitors and claims management companies. So in effect, we'll see sometimes a defect in the street 
and that being used time and time again to submit claims for it. Um, so that's the kind of thing we see, but we don't see the real high volume crash for cash type stuff that we, in other lines of business that we do see in motor. But it's probably fair to say that there's not a line of business that isn't impacted by fraud. Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's, that's where we have to be on our guard, you know. Even, you know, obscure insurance products that you wouldn't think of that um, attractive to the fraud. So that's where you get the opportunist and the whole sort of human trait around greed. And so we see that everywhere. So it's less of where it's going next as where you're focusing next and where the volume's coming through and the opportunity is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we always say in the fraud space, you know, as soon as you stand still, you're dead. You know, fraud's evolving and we have to evolve with it. So we have to be alive to some of the current trends and issues that we're seeing. Um, but similarly, you know, don't always expect it to be totally different. You know, some of the frauds we see now are the same type of frauds that we saw 15 years ago. You know, an exaggeration of a household burglary claim is the same now as it was years ago. Um, so some of that will just be constant, um, but some will evolve. And I guess a, an interesting point you raised there, you're looking at both opportunistic and organised fraud there. Um, is it worth just sort of talking a little bit about some of the trends that you're, you're both seeing in that space and you know, whether um, the trend towards organised is something that's concrete or whether the trend, to, you know, the, the, the sort of the... Um, the opportunistic fraud is something that's uh, that's just a, a, a relatively steady. So I, I think the two are completely different. It's almost like someone who's shoplifting compared to someone who's a bank robber. Yeah. You know, they're completely different. Opportunists are driven to fraud sometimes as a one-off, um, either through need or, you know, they see other people doing it or they're greedy in terms of a settlement. You know, it's an opportunity that's placed in front of them and they exploit it. Some of the opportunists don't even know what they're doing, you know, in terms of they don't realise the implications, they don't know how serious it is, they just have a little bit of a punt and ultimately are caught and find themselves prosecuted. Um, so to try and tackle the opportunist angle, it's, you know, it's very much, can we get the message out there that fraud, the chances of being caught um, if you're submitting a fraudulent claim have never been greater, the penalties have never been more severe. Um, so from that point of view, it's trying to get the message out there. And even your opportunistic whiplash you know, your claimant who's actually submitting that whiplash claim, in effect, could be a so-called opportunist, but he's underpinned by a criminal network behind it. Um, so that, that's where you get the crossovers. The true organised element of it, I mean, this is an area that the collaboration between insurers, the investment in technology has been a real factor because that's where, where it's allowed us to join the dots between these networks. And, you know, their business model is how do we avoid detection? How do we make maximum gains and avoid detection? So our attack to that is how do we actually invest in the technology and the people to try and stop that? So it's two very different approaches to two different problems. And I guess due to the impact on our society in general, organised fraud has always been a heavy focus of the industry. But I guess opportunistic fraud is certainly something that we're seeing an increase in focus on in the industry. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think, our, I mean, our investment in technology has actually helped us to identify more opportunistic fraud. And your traditional way of um, the technology and data analytics is around how do we join the dots that the human brain can't see. Um, but what the actual, what this advancement in technology has done for us is it's allowed us to identify more opportunistic fraud. And by that we mean claim, uh, serial claimants. So people who will manipulate their ID, their identity, their address just slightly um, because they know some of the traditional detection techniques. Um, so on the 
you know, we would consider them to be opportunists, mm -hmm. but more at the sort of organized end of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but And so, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise for us. And it, it, from, from my time, a long time ago, looking at property claims, they tend to evolve. So if you're successful one time, if you're good and you say you, you drop your iPhone down the toilet because it's a bit broken and you're not really entitled to claim, but you're successful, it then moves on to you accidentally dropping your TV down the stairs mm -hmm. and accidentally walking paint through a carpet. And mm -hmm. it, it evolves and people, as long as they're successful, that one time, that one opportunity can evolve into something a little more organized. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Kate. And we see that where people, it's almost a test and learn. So let's test the product, the service, the claim service. And when you're talking evolution, you've got to look at the evolution of the claims process as well. You know, the insurers are now gearing up more and more towards one-touch claim settlement, um, quick-fire claim settlement, validation, etc. Um, so we need to respond to that. So you've, you know, I can remember days of claim forms and policyholders having to get the bus while we get the car fixed. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, it's all rapid customer service and almost a, an arms race in terms of who can actually provide that customer service the quickest. That doesn't lend itself to great fraud detection, but it means that we have to evolve in terms of our techniques. Yeah, and it, it puts that, that barrier between the customer and the insurer again. It's, it's a faceless journey that we have now, and it's a lot easier to defraud a faceless computer screen than it was back in the day of having to go into your broker and explain what your insurance claim was. It's so much easier. Yeah, there's a huge psychological difference yeah, between absolutely. putting some money in a Coke machine, in a Coca-Cola machine, and getting five cans of Coca-Cola out and stealing five cans of Coca-Cola from somebody's shop. You know, it's it's a really interesting kind of psychological area there with with straight straight through processing and the like. Yeah, so and it, it'd be interesting to know what Scott's view is on this. There's been a lot of work done around nudge theories on on customer journeys and claims journeys to say if if we can gently nudge a customer in the right direction to tell the truth the value around that is that something that you guys have tried it's really fascinating research and you know hats off to the the industry as a collective for the research that they've invested in there um it, it really just focuses there's a lot of the psychology around fraud you know what makes people actually commit fraud and what what's their mindset when they actually go forward and do this and it varies widely from the totally arrogant, I'll never get caught and I'll flood, flood the system with claims through to somebody who's really down in their luck. And somebody said to them, why don't you put a fraudulent claim in? And there's a real fear factor with these people, you know, that they get caught because they understand that they're doing something that they shouldn't. And that's where the, you know, the nudges can come in. You know, where you've got somebody who's fairly easily swayed and you remind them during the claims process that, hang on a second, do you realise that if you do submit a fraudulent claim or you're telling lies here it can not only affect your claim but it can affect your lifestyle um we've not deployed that in any to any great extent within claims i think where it's of best use initially is arguably in the underwriting stage where you're actually encouraging people to tell the truth at point of sale point of quote um but that's not to say it's got a use in claims and i think that's just another area that will evolve that will evolve traditionally we've if you look at the insurance has always been utmost good faith we expect people to tell the truth and we tell them we're honest with them back. That's not the case anymore. There's people out there that obviously um, look to lie to gain financially. So, you know, ultimately we have to make sure that we've got those defences in place when that's happening. Um, so, yeah, that's just another tool. And do, do you think that that's of almost a lack of trust in the industry from a consumer side, that that, that shifted so much? Yeah, I think research over the years suggests that people feel as if almost the insurance company owes them one, especially people who have 
um, you know, maybe had a bad decision made against them, something that they've not claimed for in years, and then all of a sudden they put a claim in and it's not covered, and they thought it was covered, and they then feel, well, hang on a second, why have I been paying my insurance premiums? I think that's where, you know, if you look in the past, where insurance companies have possibly had a bad name. Um, but generally speaking, you know, the people I speak to, you know, how many people do you speak to in your everyday life that say, you know, I've never made an insurance claim? And, you know, they're the people that ultimately, if they do have a claim, that's where the policy needs to respond to them quickly. And that's where, you know, your real one-touch claims handling, your one and done, that's where it needs to really come to the fore, where people who deserve it, they've got a great claims history, they've been with you for a long time, sell their claim quickly. Um, and I think that's where it's geared towards. Yeah. But one question I've got for both of you, actually, is around level setting. If you have got one-touch claims and, you know, the threshold is around £2,000 for the sake of argument for a particular type of claim, because anything below that costs too much almost to, to put the claim in, are you finding uh, or are you seeing uh, criminals looking to identify that level and start putting claims in underneath it? Is that a common practice? Is that a typology? I think it's inevitable that once you start making decisions based on a set criteria that, that there are going to be opportunities for people to exploit that. But it's also important for them to not know what we're doing in the background. And, you know, when it comes to validation, um, and you look at the banks, you know, banks are able to provide loans through an app and a phone and money into an account within a matter of minutes. And how do they do that? They're not just taking a chance on a monetary amount and hope that you pay it back. They're doing that full due diligence and validation before they even give you the money. Um, and that's the, that's the crucial point. They're doing that because they know exactly who you are and in effect that you're good for it. And so we, we can learn from the banks in that in terms of how we make sure that the people that we are putting through quickly, straight through processing and um, one-touch settlements, they're people that in effect we know that they're good for it. Um, and the more that we do in that space to validate, then the less likely it's that we're going to be targeted by it. Absolutely. It's all its all about being aware of your own weaknesses. Fraudsters are like water. They'll always find the path of least resistance. So you have to be proactive. You have to be aware of weaknesses in your process. You're going to have to be aware of what the fraudsters are going to be able to find out about what you do. And you need to have the right protections in place at that point. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Scott. We'll leave it there for now. Don't forget to tune in to the next podcast in the series where we'll ask Scott and Kate about adaptation and how both criminals and insurers are changing their approach. Many thanks for listening to the Intelligence Download. Don't forget to subscribe using Podbean, iTunes or anywhere you can find good podcasts. Mm-hmm.